as we struggle in this world, you are there with us and you are there forgiving us. So, Lord, help us not to use that as a reason to go our own way, but as a reason to love you evermore and to cling to you. Uh, ask, Lord, as we look to your word this morning, that no matter what is said from me, that your word will speak to each one in a way that would encourage and strengthen and help them uh, to desire and to know how to follow you. We thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to study your word and to be here together. In Jesus' name, amen. As we were singing that song, I was thinking about uh, several things. Uh, one is First uh, John 4, 4. Uh, I challenged our church last Sunday uh, at Thedford uh, to the kids and the people to memorize 1 John 4, 4. I think it would go well with this passage. I, there's a couple of little kids that are really smart that have been memorizing verses. I say, hey, this verse would be good to memorize. And I believe 1 John 4, 4 would be a perfect verse for us today as we study this passage. Um, the other thing I was thinking about was Seth. And I think we need to continue to pray for him. Sometimes, I, you know, we, we bring up our prayer requests and, and you know, he's one that we know uh, needs our love and support and the family needs our love and support. But let's make sure that we keep him in our prayers as well as the family. I hope that's okay to say this morning. And the others that we mentioned this morning with the surgeries coming up as well. I'd like you to turn to 1 Kings chapter 19. As you're turning there, I, I was reminded about three people who were visiting and viewing the Grand Canyon as I was studying this passage. There was an artist, a pastor, and a cowboy. As they stood on the edge of the massive abyss, each one responded with a cry of exclamation. The artist said, Ah, what a beautiful scene to paint. The minister cried, what a wonderful example of the handiwork of God. The cowboy mused, what a terrible place to lose a cow. <laughs> you know, different perspectives, right? As they look across the, the Grand Canyon there. Now let's say the minister who had a great perspective like all believers should. Man, what a marvelous picture of the handiwork and magnificence of God. Let's say we're like the minister, but yet let's, let's place this minister in the bottom of the Grand Canyon in the middle of the night without any direction already feeling lost. His perspective is going to be uh, challenged, isn't it? You know, it's important for us to understand that where we find Elijah today in this passage, this chapter, as well as that minister, if he were in the bottom of that Grand Canyon without any navigational tools in the middle of the night, without any water or anything, that every believer will 
be in that situation in varying degrees at different points of time in their life. If not multiple times, at least once. Therefore, today, we're going to encourage you and challenge you from this passage that when it hurts, you turn to the Lord. When you're in great despair, that you look up to Him. And therefore, we're going to challenge you today that you, the faithful, must refocus on the Lord when it hurts. Let's face the facts. Life is not always or maybe is rarely easy. Even the greatest among us may and will struggle just as Elijah did. So let's look at the powerful passage here that reminds us of two truths in this fallen world. The first truth is that the strong, and if you have your bulletin insert, right, there's a blank there. You, you could probably take a couple of guesses. Yeah, strong's going to thrive, right? The strong will be successful. But here we see the strong struggle. He struggles. And so when, when faith flounders, we see here in this passage that the mighty flee. When faith flounders, fear has conquered the faith to some extent. So let's look at this passage here in chapter 19 of 1 Kings. Now Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me and even more if I do not make your faith or your life, sorry, and your faith, your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. Destroyed, right? Killed. And so we see a danger here. We see the challenge for Elijah. Jezebel ruled the roost, right? So if we go back uh, a couple of weeks ago and before that, we were talking about this great battle that that took place on Mount Carmel where God brought down fire upon the offering, the soaking wet offering, and, and all of Israel at that point bent the knee to the Lord and said, uh, Jehovah, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And then Elijah said, get those 450 false prophets of Baal, and then they got them. They grabbed a hold of them, and Elijah killed them all. That in itself would be a lot of work, right? Then Elijah goes to King Ahab. He, King Ahab allowed that to happen. And then he goes up and says, okay, you go have your feast, King Ahab. I'm going to go up. He didn't say I'm going to go up, but he says it's going to rain. So go ahead and have your feast, and then you need to head out. He goes up and he prays, and the rain comes, which it hadn't rained for three and a half years, right? There had been a great drought. I mean, we, we've had it tough this year. Here at the church it rained, in Arnold it didn't really rain, and it is dry. It is tough. Imagine three and a half years of a drought. We wouldn't have anything left, would we? But 
but God brought the rain. And so he, he told his servant, hey, go tell King Ahab, you better get going. The rain's coming. And the rain came and overtook him. But Elijah ran in the strength of the Lord to Jezreel. And so he's in Jezreel where King Ahab is. And we have Jezebel who actually is the one in control of the marriage and the kingdom. And she says, okay, he's dead man. I don't care. He's a dead man. And we could have some questions. Why did she send a warning letter? (laughs) You ever wonder about that? There's a lot of things we could speculate. I mean, maybe because at this point in time, it is perceived that Elijah has a lot of people say, hey, this man is a prophet of the only living God still, right? Even in Jezreel, they probably knew what took place at Mount Carmel if they were not there. He's got the support of the people. I'm going to scare him. Maybe that's what she was thinking. I don't know what she was thinking, but it did scare him, right? She didn't have to kill him. He ran. I imagine she still wanted him dead, didn't she? But she sent this note. Hey, you're going to be like one of those prophets. So his reaction, look at verse 3 and 4. And he was afraid. And arose. And this is mighty Elijah. He arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree, a Joshua tree, and he requested, and he requested for himself that he might die and said, It is enough now, O Lord, take my life, for I am not better than my father's. So we come to this passage and we see his reaction first of fear. And what had just happened? I just went over kind of a recap, right? God had done wonderful miracles. And here, for the first time, when he runs, when he flees in these passages that we've looked at in the life of Elijah, there wasn't a command from God to flee. The other times when Elijah acted, it was... The Lord told him. (laughs) He was following the Lord. Boy, his his faith sure got walloped by his fear, didn't it? So he he went and he ran and he fled all the way. And this is a southern tip of Judah. He's in Israel, right? Ahab's the Israel king, the northern tribe. So he goes all the way through Judah to the southern tip of Beersheba, leaves his servant there. He goes another day in it farther south. He's fleeing to Horeb, right? Mount Sinai. And he lays under a Joshua tree. He is exhausted. And this is where depression and the desire to be done away with his life. And so we see when faith flounders, The mighty flee, and oftentimes they may not have the strength to flee. They just sit there in despair. Kind of like the Pilgrim's Progress, right? Castle of despair. When endurance fails, we also see the seasoned struggled. He is seasoned, right? He's a man of the wilderness, Elijah, I mean, he had to be exhausted. He had to be exhausted emotionally. 
Uh, and this was a huge battle, right? A few days before. This was a huge battle, a huge undertaking emotionally to see God do what he did and then to have it all come crashing. Victory! <laughs> he runs to Jezreel excited. And then Jezebel strikes. He had some major highs and some major lows that can exhaust you emotionally, physically. You know, he dealt with the 450 prophets. He ran to Jezreel. He, he ran down through the desert. Look at verse 5 and 6. He lay down and slept under a juniper tree. See, he's exhausted. And behold, there was an angel touching him and He said to him, Arise, eat. Then he looked, and behold, there was at his head a bread cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. He's exhausted. He's exhausted spiritually, and he's exhausted physically, emotionally. He's hungry. He's exhausted completely. Somebody y'all know I would like to quote Warren Wiersbe in referencing ancient church fathers who used to say to their disciples, um, he says that they would say, beware of human reactions after holy exertions. Anybody ever experienced that? I mean, you're doing something for the Lord, and maybe it's a great success, or perhaps it's not. But you've done all you can for the Lord, and then you're just exhausted. If it's a great victory, it's, if it seems like it's a great success, sometimes that's when Satan likes to hit us the most, before and especially after. So beware of human reactions after holy exertions, because when that happens, when you're exhausted, it is hard to have your eyes upon the Lord. It is hard to not allow fear to conquer your faith. It is hard not to allow discouragement to cause you to be depressed. But we find here something that takes place, and you would think, you know, the Lord should deal with him, you know. Um, He's not doing He wasn't commanded to go here, but the Lord deals with them gently, graciously. He brings him, he sends him food and water and lets him rest. The Lord knows what we need more than we do, you know that? But we also find here in this passage that Elijah's journey is not over. And he still may not be doing what the Lord wants, but the Lord knows what he's going to do, and the Lord knows he needs the the food, the sustenance, the water to press on. I want to read on. Uh, I forget where I stopped here, (laughs) but verse 7, I believe I stopped in verse 6. Verse 7, the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise, eat, because the journey is too great for you. So he rose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mountain of God. And so here we find the Lord gives him what he needs, and it was physical rest and food 
for him to recover physically. Oftentimes, I think it's important for us to understand that we are uh, not only social, but we're emotional, spiritual, physical beings, right? We may have an illness, or we may be physically exhausted. Um, that can affect how we feel we're doing spiritually. Maybe we're struggling spiritually. That can make us feel exhausted physically or emotionally or mentally, right? So there's a lot of aspects to it. Some people think, hey, I have sinned. I feel horrible. They're not getting the sleep they need. Maybe it's a medical reason. Don't be too harsh on yourself, okay? Seek God's wisdom for what you're dealing with. But here we find that Elijah needed strength to go on, and the Lord gave him what he needed. His journey was not over. And he was not necessarily doing what God wanted him to do, but the Lord knew he needed the energy to press on to Mount Horeb, Mount Sinai. So God provided for him. God would not leave him nor forsake him. God will not leave his children nor forsake them. Have you trusted in Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? There is a fount filled with blood flowing from Emmanuel's veins. Have you come to the Lord Jesus Christ by faith, seeking forgiveness? If you've truly believed in him, it's not just a head knowledge has transcended into our hearts, our whole being. Do we really believe in the Lord Jesus? Have we asked Him to forgive us of our sins? Have we trusted completely upon what He has done? If you have, the Holy Spirit will make you new. You're a new creation in Christ Jesus. And you have the Holy Spirit who will indwell you he will never leave you nor forsake you. If you have yet believed, the Lord is there. You are not a child of God, but the Lord is there. The Lord was there with Elijah. God sustained him. And in verse 7 again, because the journey is too great for you. We can't do this alone. We can't do life alone. We need the Lord. God wasn't done with Elijah, was he? <laughs> so just to dwell on this just a moment longer, emotional burnout, weariness, hunger, deep sense of failure, plus a lack of faith in the Lord brought Elijah to this deep depression. There may also be an element of pride involved as well as self-pity here. But he was in the bottom of that dark canyon with no way out. No perceived way out. The faithful must refocus on the Lord when it hurts. Right? Ah, you know this. Are we keeping our eyes on Jesus? We may know it, but are we doing it? The second truth in this fallen world is that the wise need vision. Now we're saying, okay, so there's a blank in your bulletin insert, right? You would think the wise, you know, 
Uh, they just need encouragement. Because wisdom really gives you an idea that they have the right vision, but sometimes even the people who have made wise decisions need help to press on. Life's not over. We can't dwell in the past. And so, starting at verse 5 on, I think we could say with Elijah, who was a very wise man because he followed the Lord, that he needed vision. So what kind of vision did he need? Look at 5 through 7 again. We've already read these verses, but first we see that God gives him strength so that he can have the right vision. The, an angel touched him in verse 7, right? I, it says the angel of the Lord. Now what, is the, what does that mean? When we see this phrase, angel of the Lord, we often come to see that from that context, oftentimes the angel of the Lord is worshipped in a way, if it's really an angel, say, no, I am not the Lord, don't worship me. But there is a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ many times in the Old Testament. I believe this is a Christophany. This context, we don't see any worship, but, but it's fascinating of what takes place. And it says, uh, the angel of the Lord. I believe it's a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ. And so, whether you agree with me or not, we see that the Lord is ministering to Elijah. He's giving him strength. The Lord gave Elijah again sustenance, water, and bread. And the question for us as we come back to reevaluate this, as we think about it, not only about physical and emotional strength, but also vision for the future, how often do we try to go on our own? doing life our own way. And, and oftentimes, even that when that happens, God graciously provides. And he's doing that here for Elijah. And so the Lord gave him, him sustenance, and he, he helped him anyway. But how often do we overlook that God helps us even when we're not doing what we ought to be doing? How, how often do we forget of God's simple little tender mercy towards us in those moments. It could be very easy to be discouraged. Right? Try not to overlook God's tender mercy. You know, a lot of people want to see these great, marvelous, miraculous things happen like what happened on Mount Carmel. And they're looking for that miraculous moment and they miss the simple miracles of God. I think if we miss them far, and we do miss, overlook, miss those far too often. And so we struggle on in our discouragement. Keep your eyes on the Lord. But the Lord let Elijah rest, right? Do we neglect the importance of that? Do we forget the value and effect it has on us spiritually and mentally? The Lord gave Elijah the strength he needed to continue the, the long journey. It was going to be around 300 miles through tough, grueling desert to Mount Sinai. He had the clothes on his back and the sandals on his feet, but more so he had the Lord with him. 
He went back to where God had worked on the children of Israel to make them his own people. And so let's read verse 9. Start at verse 9. Then he came there to a cave. Okay, I'm going to back up just a little bit. So he arose and ate and drank and went on strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to whore of the mountain of God. Then he came there to a cave and lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and he said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Now, I don't know if he had that tonal inflection, right? Hey, what in the world are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah said, he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the sons of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword, and I alone am left. And they seek my life to take it away. So we see here in this passage, again, he's still in despair, but as he goes through this, as he goes on the strength of the Lord, he goes through the wilderness where the, for 40 days and 40 nights, he's going to have to have that strength. And we think about how many years the children of Israel were in that same wilderness and God was performing some miraculous things. And I think God is giving him clarity, right? As he's going to the Mount Sinai, Right? I think so. I'm sure Elijah knew the Torah, the first five books, what God had done for the children of Israel. Reminders of God's greatness. I think that's the first fresh vision of clarity. And so God gives him clarity. Let's read on here. Um, So he said, that is the Lord said, Go forth and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord was passing by. Remember this from earlier today? And a great and strong wind was rending the mountains and breaking in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind, and after the wind an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire a sound of a gentle blowing. It came about when Elijah heard it, that he wrapped his face in his mantle, went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. And behold, a voice came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? Then he said, I have been very zealous. Notice, same thing said, before and after God revealing himself. I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the sons of Israel have forsaken your covenant torn down your altar and killed your prophets with the sword, and I alone am left, and they seek my life to take it away. What we see here is a fresh vision from the power and glory of God, don't we? God did not rebuke Elijah, but let him go to the cave at Mount Sinai. God spoke to Elijah there in verse 9 and 13, saying, What are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah is living in the past and not the present. He sees the past. He sees he was all alone for many years. Uh, W. Philip Keller says something I, I found very interesting. As God's people, we cannot hope to be sustained in our service for the Lord by the stimulus of past experiences. Now, they're good, right? No matter how startling, they're still good, but no matter how startling the exploits experienced, 
no matter how great the former faithfulness to God, we cannot serve in the strength of past performance. There's more to do. Those things should build us up and prepare us for the future, but don't be living in the past in a sense. That's what we did back here, and then that's what we're going to carry on in our strength for the future because if we do that, we may just say, hey, we did that, we're good. Well, let's just keep going our own way. I'm done. Or we may begin to say, oh, look how great I am, and I'm doing good. We did good there. I'm going to keep going on in my own strength. We can't do it in our own strength. We need the Lord's strength. And so here we see Elijah had possibly done that. We don't know. But again, he said it several times. First, before the Lord revealed his, his great glory, and then after, I'm the, only, I'm the only prophet. I'm the only one. And they have forsaken your covenant that you made here on this mount. <laughs> right? I'm done, Lord. I'm sick of it. It was great. Let's just be done. But God had revealed his glory and power in verse 11 through 13. And so Elijah, you know, he says, go out on the entrance of your cave. Elijah obeyed, and, and the Lord was passing by. But, but God was not in that, that wind. What about this wind? Oh, we've seen winds, and we've seen uh, things torn apart by tornadoes, correct? What about boulders and rocks? That's different, <laughs> in my opinion. But God wasn't in that wind. Then there was an earthquake. And uh, many of us here have experienced earthquakes, right? A little weird. Not, not as bad as out in California. I know we have some Californians here today. I don't know if you've experienced earthquakes, but understand, nothing compared to that, right? But just imagine... We've seen the reports on the news. It was an earthquake, but God wasn't in the earthquake. And then a fire. Imagine this fire. I can't even imagine. But after all that, the Lord was in a still, small voice, a gentle blowing, a low whisper, a gentle whisper. And have you ever wondered why? Maybe it's because that's what Elijah needed. Maybe it's what we needed to see. Reminds me of Psalm 46.10. The ESV says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Be still. New American Standard says, Cease striving and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Oftentimes, I find myself just doing, 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 and never stopping and waiting on the Lord. It's a quiet whisper. Stop and pay attention to the Lord. I think that's what it's telling us. In this clarity of vision, not only of the greatness of God, but there's purpose that is given. 
going on, 15, the Lord said to him, go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you have arrived, you shall anoint Hazael king over Aram, and Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint king over Israel, and Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Ebo-Meholah, you shall anoint as prophet in your place. It shall come about, the one who escapes from the sword of Hazael, Jehu will put to death, and the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu, Elisha shall put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. Number one, he says, um, your perspective is wrong. <laughs> you're not the only one. Second, I, you're not done. There's, your job is not over. I want you to anoint a foreign instrument for judgment. I want you to anoint a new king for judgment. And I want you to anoint a new prophet, a disciple, and a friend. And again, I have others, Elijah. So what did Elijah do? He went back to work. In the midst of depression, in the midst of suffering, in the midst of the the hurt, sometimes the, the best healing can take place. Not always. I understand that when we begin to serve others. It helps us to see beyond our hurt. But always remember, this problem here, it may be monstrous, a lot bigger in my hand, but if that's all that's in front of our face, it's hard to see the greatness of God. So get away from that problem by turning and looking to the Lord and see how great the Lord is. Okay? Remember that. And I have to, you know, you may know that. <laughs> it's hard to work on, hard to, rem- hard to put into practice. Always remember who God is and who you truly are. Who are you? You're made in his image. You're adopted in his family. Are you his disciple or his follower? Are you gifted by the Holy Spirit? Yes. If you're a believer, you are. Do you therefore still have a task? Do you have a task? If you are a believer, God has a task for you. Even the most mature, wisest believer will come to moments of great difficulty. Where then do your eyes go to? To the problem or the powerful Savior? The cowboy at the Grand Canyon reflected wisely, but it would be foolish to only see that as a problem. It would be a grave mistake to not also see the beauty and power of God. So don't merely look at the problems. Refocus your vision upon the Lord, especially when it hurts. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your many promises. Most specifically, uh, relevant to us from this passage is that you will never leave us nor forsake us. And you have not only created us, but you have saved us for a purpose. Help us to understand what that is. And I ask, Lord, that you would encourage those who may be struggling, encourage those who are in the midst of hurt, encourage those who are facing scary ordeals, and may you give them the peace that surpasses all understanding and the boldness to move forward. We pray all these things in your precious Son's name, Jesus. Amen. This morning, let's take up...
offering for our missionaries, Mission Sunday. Please keep in mind... Um, 